بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسوله الكريم نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد طيب let's see who's on the board which hadith are we on what's the hadith hadith in English in English how does it start? What's it about? What's the content of the hadith? The Messenger alayhi salatu said to Ibn Abbas radiallahu ta'ala anhumah Oh young man, I'm about to teach you some words. I'm about to teach you some words. That is the hadith that we're on. Hadith number 19. The hadith Ya ghulam, inni u'allimuka kalimat. Oh young man, I'm about to teach you some words. Be mindful of Allah and Allah He shall protect you. To the end of the hadith. So, who can remember some of what was discussed concerning this early part of the hadith in our previous session? Any points of benefit that you remember, that you recall? from this statement of the message or this statement of Ibn Abbas who said I was behind the messenger alayhi salatu wasalam uh, one day one day I was sitting behind the Prophet alayhi salam and he said to me oh boy I'm about to teach you some words anybody remember yeah number one it shows you the humbleness of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam Ya Abd al-Ghani Ridwan Ridwan Sheikh Ammar Sheikh Ammar How does this show the humbleness of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Prophet Muhammad alayhi salatu wasalam says to Ibn Abbas radiallahu ta'ala anhuma Oh boy I'm about to teach you some words Ibn Abbas he's sitting with the Prophet alayhi salatu wasalam behind him Shaykh Ahmed said that this shows the humbleness and humility of Prophet Muhammad. How? He's giving him advice to save him from Jahannam. Yes, what else? Ya Shaykh Ridwan. Prophet Muhammad, perhaps he turned around to give him advice. And perhaps he said it without turning around. But there is something significant about the fact that this young man was sitting on a riding beast with Prophet Muhammad and this therefore shows humility. How? Ah, Shaykh Ahmed. Speaking nice to him, but not just that. Imagine if it's a king. If it's a king. Is the king really going to have somebody sitting behind him? Especially a young boy sitting behind him on the horse? No. Most likely the young boy, the servant, is going to be holding the horse by its reins and then uh, uh, taking the horse in the direction where the king wants the, the horse to go to. Very, you're not really going to find somebody of great prestige sitting on a horse and then have a young boy sitting on the horse behind him. So this shows the humbleness and humility of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. 
Something else, anybody else any, uh, remember any other fawa'id that, that were mentioned concerning this initial part of the, of the hadith? The fact that Prophet Muhammad says that I'm about to teach you some words, what's so significant about this? It shows he cares, Ahsant, it shows that he cares. What else? Show, yeah, use the word ghulam, yani young boy. If you, do, if you talk to a boy like this, oh young boy, it's going, to, it's going to make him more inclined towards listening to you. And he's going to respect you more because you're respecting him. Something else as well. The Prophet, he said, I'm about to teach you some words, some sentences. So now, when you know that your teacher, or your father, or your uncle, or your big brother, or anybody, is about to say a set of sentences to you, your mind is going to be more focused. Your mind is going to be more focused. It's going to focus more because it now knows there is a set number of sentences that are about to come in my way. Therefore, I need to now pay close attention. I need to focus so that I can retain the knowledge that is about to be imparted to me. And then after that, Be mindful of Allah and Allah He shall protect you. Literally, Make health of Allah. And Allah, He shall make health of you. Hiv means it can be translated as safeguarding, protecting, remembering, uh, 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 memorizing, preserving. This type of translation of the word hiv. So the messenger is saying, make health of Allah and Allah will make health of you. So what does this mean? What does it mean by making hifz of Allah. What, what, what's this in reference to? Yeah, keep away from his prohibitions. To do what pleases him. So, what are you in actual fact being commanded to make hifz of? To protect, to safeguard. What is the Prophet commanding Ibn Abbas to protect and safeguard? His Islam, yani the boundaries of Islam, the boundaries of, the, of Islam. Don't go beyond those boundaries of Islam. Allah Jalla has ordered you to, with certain commands, protect those commands by implementing them. Allah has forbidden you from certain matters. Don't do those certain matters. As a result of that, what are the fruits? The fruits are that Allah will make hifz of you. Allah will make hifz of you. He'll protect you. He'll safeguard you. He'll preserve you. How? How will Allah protect you? If you protect His boundaries by not transgressing against those boundaries, then Allah will protect you. How? We mentioned in two ways you'll be protect, protected. Or this protect, protection is manifested in two ways. Save you from his punishment. Yeah, so in terms of your deen. In terms of your deen. He'll protect you in terms of your deen. What else? Even in your dunya matters. Even in your dunya matters. So if you protect the boundaries of Allah, 
by being a good Muslim, by remembering Allah and thus keeping away from the haram and doing the wajibat. If you do that, if you make hifz of Allah, you make hifz of the sharia of Allah, the deen of Allah, then as a result of that, Allah will protect you in two ways. Number one, protect you in terms of your deen. Obviously, He'll protect you in terms of your deen. He will safeguard you in terms of your deen. He will protect you from the fire of hell. He will, he will allow you to enter into paradise. So as far as your deen is concerned, you'll be protected. As far as your afterlife is concerned, which is obviously our main priority, you'll be protected. You'll get that paradise that you want. You'll get that salvation from hellfire that you want to be saved from. So you'll get the protection as far as your deen is concerned. But likewise, you'll obtain a worldly protection as well. Protection as far as worldly matters are concerned as well. So if you protect the boundaries of Allah, if you're a good Muslim, if you're pious, if you're righteous, then you're going to find Allah is going to protect you in your worldly affairs. If it's the case that you used your eyesight, in what pleases Allah as a young boy, as a young man, as an adult, as a mature man, then later on in life, as a result of that, you may find that Allah has now protected your eyesight. And your eyesight is strong, even as, a, as an older man. Another example that the scholars, they mention, if you protected your mind in your early life, by utilizing your mind in the path of Allah. How can you utilize your mind in the path of Allah? How can you use your mind in the path of Allah? How? Memorizing, seeking knowledge, studying. So if you are a keen talib al-ilm, a seeker of Islamic knowledge, in the early parts of your life, then you may find that later on in your life, because you used your aql, you used your mind in the path of Allah in your early life, then later on in life, when you're an older man, Allah has still protected that aql of yours, that very same aql that you used in the path of Allah, in the service of Allah. As a young man, that same aql, that same mind has now been preserved, protected, hevd. Protection of that mind has been made once you reached your 60s, your 70s, your 80s. As a result of you protecting the boundaries of Allah. Therefore, what we learn from this statement of the Messenger of Allah, make hifz of Allah and Allah will make hifz of you, meaning, safeguard the boundaries of Allah. Don't go over the boundaries of Allah. Safeguard. The obligation that you have been obligated with, be a Muslim, a righteous Muslim, a good and pious Muslim. And then Allah will make hifz of you, Allah will protect you. As far as your religion is concerned, i.e. in your afterlife, and as far as your worldly matters are concerned. And then the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, he went on to say, Allah, and you'll find Allah in front of you. Make hifz of Allah, and you'll find Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in front of you. This is the second part of Shaykh Abdul Muhsin al-Abbad Sharh. He gives a brief commentary to it. 
He says, وَالْمَعْنَى تَجِدْهُ يَحُوتُكَ وَيَرْعَاكَ فِي أُمُورِ دِينِكَ وَدُنْيَاكَ Again, the same, يعني, uh, re-emphasis of the initial statement. Be mindful of Allah and you'll find Him in front of you. Mean you'll find Him protecting you. You'll find Him taking care of you. You'll find Him taking care of you and looking after you in your worldly affairs and in your religious affairs. This is similar to another hadith, a hadith Qudsi. A hadith Qudsi. A hadith of Abu Hurayata radiallahu ta'ala anhu recorded by Imam al-Bukhari that ma taqarraba ilayya abdi bishay'in ahabba ilayya mimma iftaradtuhu alayh. My slave has never come close to me with something that I love more than the obligations. And the obligations is the thing that Allah loves the most. That is the thing that a person who wants to be loved by Allah should do first. The obligations. وَمَا يَزَالُ, وما يزال عَبْدِ يَتَقَرَّبُ إِلَيَّ بِالنَّوَافِلِ حَتَّى أَحَبَّهُ my slave shall not cease getting close to me by observing the nawafil, observing the supererogatory deeds up until I end up loving him. فَإِذَا أَحْبَبْتُهُ كُنْتُ سَمْعَهُ الَّذِي يَسْمَعُ بِهِ وَبَصَرَهُ الَّذِي يُبْصِرُ بِهِ وَيَدَهُ الَّتِي يَبْطُشُ بِهَا وَرِجْلَهُ الَّتِي يَمْشِ بِهَا and if I end up loving my slave, then I become his eyesight, by, by his hearing, by which he hears, and his eyesight, by which he sees, and his hand, by which he grasps, and his leg, by which he walks. Meaning, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will then protect you in all of these things. Once you end up becoming a person, who fulfills the obligations and then on top of that does the nawafil supererogatory deeds so you pray your five times daily prayers but then on top of that you pray the nawafil you pray the uh, 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 supererogatory prayers the sunan qiyamul layl you, you, you perform your obligatory fasting fasting in Ramadan in addition to that, you, you fast Ayam al the middle days in the month. You fast the Mondays and the Thursday fast. You fast Psalm of Dawood every other day. You give charity, the zakah, the poor due that is due upon you to give. On an annual basis, you give it. But then in addition to that, you give sadaqah for masajid, sadaqah upon for people other than the, obliga the obligatory sadaqah and so on and so forth. You perform hajj, but then you perform extra hajj and so on and so forth. You perform those deeds that aren't an obligation upon you. Once a person, he does this, then he becomes those, ple those people that are beloved to Allah. Allah loves them. And once you reach that station, then you become those who, when he sees or when يعني, Allah becomes his hearing, Allah becomes his seeing, Allah becomes his hand that he walks with and his feet that he, uh, his leg that he, walk, that he walks with and his hand that he grasps with meaning. Allah protects you in all of these things. 
Allah safeguards you in all of these things. So whenever you see, Allah will protect you in what you see. Whenever you hear, Allah protects you in what you hear. Whatever you approach with your hand, Allah protects you in that regard. Whatever you walk towards, Allah protects you in your whole life. Allah is protecting you. As Allah Jalla wa Ala, He has said, وَمَن يَتَّقِ اللَّهِ يَجْعَلْ لَهُ مَخْرَجَةً وَيَرْزُقُهُ مِنْ حَيْثُ لَا يَحْتَسِبُ Whoever has taqwa of Allah, then Allah shall make a way out for him. And he'll provide him from sources that he could never even have imagined. This is as a result of being mindful of Allah, of being mindful of the boundaries of Allah, of remembering Allah, of getting close to Allah by the obligations. And then on top of that with the nawafil, as a result of that, you'll find that you're from those that are close to Allah from the allies of Allah, that Allah is protecting and safeguarding. Then the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, he said, إِذَا سَأَلْتَ فَاسْأَلِ اللَّهِ وَإِذَا اسْتَعَنْتَ فَاسْتَعِنْ بِاللَّهِ If you seek help, or rather if you ask, then ask from Allah. And if you seek aid, then seek aid from Allah. This is where Shaykh Abdul Muhsin al-Abbad's third part to the explanation of this hadith begins. And it is again brief. He mentions that this statement of the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam is similar to the statement of Allah jalla wa ala, Iyaka na'budu wa iyaka nasta'een. You alone do we worship and you alone do we seek help from. You alone do we worship and you alone do we seek help from. This statement here, that when you ask, ask only from Allah, and when you seek aid, then seek aid from Allah. And the fact that this is similar to the statement of Allah, you alone do we worship, you alone do we seek help from. Here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam in this hadith have mentioned together the ghaya and the wasila in this ayah and in this hadith in this specific statement in this hadith Allah and Allah's Messenger have mentioned the ghaya the objective the actual goal and the wasila the means of obtaining the goal What's the goal? What's the actual goal? The goal is, what's the actual goal of life? Please Allah, by doing what? Worshipping Him alone, only asking Him, praying to Him. So the ghaya is ibadah, the ghaya is worship. Asking Allah, asking Allah, to aid us in that regard is a wasila, is the absolute means of obtaining the ghaya. The ghaya, the goal, is worship of Allah. The absolute and underlying means by which we obtain the ghaya is al-isti'ana, is seeking help from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in worshipping Him. That is the reason why the companion 
ridwan Allah ta'ala alayhim they said lawla Allah mahtadayna wala tasaddaqna wala sallayna if it wasn't for Allah we would never have been guided and we would never have prayed why? because the companions they recognize that it is only by asking Allah humbling ourselves before Allah and begging and beseeching him that the ghaya that the goal what's the goal again? worshipping Allah the goal of being guided the goal of praying to Allah the goal of giving in charity the goal of praying can only be achieved it can only be achieved by this wasila this means this absolute underlying means of Allah aiding me of Allah helping me in worshipping him so here we find Allah's messenger alayhi salatu combines in this statement the ghaya and the wasila the goal and the means the goal is praying to Allah worshipping Allah this is found in the statement and in the statement of the messenger alayhi salatu in this hadith if you ask then ask from Allah and then the messenger combined that with the wasila, the means of obtaining this ability to ask and pray only to Allah. The wasila being, And if you seek help, seek aid, seek assistance, then seek aid and assistance only from Allah. So when you ask, Yani when you make ibadah, for example, and obviously that ibadah should only be from to Allah. When you seek help in the absolute sense of the word of being granted tawfiq and hidayah to make ibadah, that should only be directed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So in those matters that only Allah has ability in and nobody else from creation, then you are, you are only to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As for those other matters that a person who is living and has ability to help you in regards to, yes, it's permissible for you to do so. But even still, we find that when the Messenger والسلام, offered these pieces of advice to the companions about only asking help from Allah, when the companions heard this statement from the Messenger about asking help from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, asking aid and assistance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Obviously the companions, they recognize that in those matters that only Allah is able to help us in, we have to only ask Allah. If we ask anybody else, then that's shirk, that's kufr. But likewise, in addition to that, in those matters that it is permissible for you to ask other people help in regards to we still found that the companions, because of their sheer tawakkal upon Allah, their sheer dependency and reliance upon Allah, they would go to great degrees in not asking other people for help. To such an extent that if a companion was sitting on a horse or on a riding beast and he had a whip, and the whip fell down onto the ground, the companion would not ask his friend to go and pick it up for him. 
Rather, he would get off the horse, get off the camel, get, or get off the riding beast himself, and go over towards the whip and pick it up and then get back on the horse. Why? Because they only wanted, they did not want to seek help and assistance from other people as much as they were able in those matters that human beings are able to assist them in. But the point being, that this ayah here, or this statement of the hadith of the Messenger alayhi salatu here, in it the Messenger combined between the ghaya, the goal, which is ibadah, and likewise the wasila, the means via which the goal is obtained, which is asking assistance from Allah in that regard. Tamam. And then, after that, the Messenger alayhi salatu made a statement that emphasizes that emphasizes the reality of the matter the reality of if you're going to ask then ask from Allah if you're going to seek help and assistance then seek help and assistance from Allah the messenger alayhi salatu wasalam after mentioning this statement this statement in reality is a a tremendous statement via which a person can sift out the du'at ilal batil or du'at ilal batil min du'at al-haq. This statement of the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam that when you seek help, then seek help only from Allah. When you seek assistance, then seek assistance from Allah. This statement of Allah's Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam is a tremendous statement by which a person can then sift out the du'at, the preachers, the callers, the teachers, the sheikhs that are teachers and preachers and shuyukh of haqq, they call to the haqq, they call to the truth, the teachers of the truth, they are people of the truth, they invite you to the truth, they want you to be upon the truth. By this statement of the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, you can sift out so many of the callers and the preachers and the teachers of misguidance from the callers and the teachers and the preachers of truth. How? Because the callers and the teachers and the preachers of truth, just like the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam is doing here, are going to connect you to Allah. They're going to connect your heart to Allah. Their goal, their objective is to get you connected to Allah, to strengthen your relationship with Allah. That's their point. That's their objective. That's their path. Why? Because that is the path of the Prophet ﷺ. The path of the Prophet ﷺ, the objective of the Prophet ﷺ, in this advice of his to his cousin Ibn Abbas, is to connect Ibn Abbas to Allah. To connect, uh, to connect Ibn Abbas to Allah, yani to strengthen the relationship of Ibn Abbas to Allah. And not to connect Ibn Abbas to himself. Not to connect Ibn Abbas to the Messenger Not to connect him to him and his personality. And to make him an intermediary between him and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In contrast to many of the du'at al-batil. To many of the callers and the preachers and the teachers and the shayukh of falsehood. 
that you find many of them, their point, their objective in preaching to you and calling to you and inviting you to the deen is to connect you to themselves, to get you connected to themselves. The point of their da'wah is da'wah to themselves. Like the shuyukh of Sufiya, like the sheikhs of the different Sufi paths, their objective is not to connect you to Allah. So you know straight away, as soon as the person tries to make statements, statements that allude to him wanting you to be connected to him. And you can clearly see that his objective isn't to absolutely connect you to Allah. When you find him making statements like, when you make dhikr of Allah, then remember my face. Perhaps some of you have heard this before from the people of Sufiya. That when you make dhikr of Allah, think of me, remember my face. Sometimes you might go into the house of a person who is a murid, who is a murid of a certain Sufi sheikh. You enter into his living room and there's a big, massive picture of his Sufi sheikh fixed against the wall. Why? Why is that big, massive picture even though, even though we know that pictures, making pictures are haram, is haram. And the angels won't enter into the house where there are these pictures. But then on top of that, why is there a picture of a religious man, a man that is meant to be a teacher, a preacher, a sheikh? Why is there a picture of the sheikh in the house? Obviously the sheikh would have told you, don't have pictures in the house because pictures are haram. Why is there a picture of a sheikh in your house? Sheikh. Ammar, you were about to say something, yes. Exactly. The reason why the murid has a picture of his sheikh in the house is because sheikh has told him himself, have a picture of me in your house because when you try to remember Allah, think of my face, remember my face, look at my face and through me you can get to Allah. Perhaps some of you have heard this. I have heard this from my own ears before. That the Shaykh has said to his murid himself, think of Allah, uh, think of my face when you make dhikr of Allah. When you do that formula that I've given you of saying, La ilaha illallah, 100 times, 1000 times in the day, or that specific formula that I've given you of saying, Huwa hu, 368 times in the evening and 49 times in the afternoon. When you do that dhikr, when you do that wird, then remember my face. This is when a person knows this, he knows clearly that his objective is not to connect you to Allah. And thus you know he's not upon the path of the Prophet Because the Prophet here clearly is saying, if you ask, ask from Allah. If you seek help, seek help from Allah. He's connecting Ibn Abbas's heart to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the path of Prophet Muhammad. And therefore, anybody that is going to follow the footsteps of teaching how the Prophet taught, he's going to do the same thing. As Allah has said in his book, قُلْ هَذِهِ سَبِيلِي أَدْعُوا إِلَى اللَّهِ عَلَى بَصِيرَةٍ أَنَا وَمَنِ اتَّبَعَنِي Say, O Muhammad, this is my path. I call to Allah upon Basira. I call to Allah upon insight. 
Notice, Allah is commanding the Prophet to say, Say, O Muhammad, I invite, I call, I preach towards Allah. He did not say, Say, O Muhammad, I call you people to me, Muhammad. I invite you people to me. No. I invite you to Allah. I call you to Allah. Upon insight, I am those who follow me. So, you're, so if you're a follower of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam in preaching, in inviting, in teaching, then you have to adopt this methodology. If you don't, then we know that you are a sheikh of falsehood. If you're calling people to yourself, if your objective is to venerate yourself, if your objective is to connect people to you, then we know that you're a sheikh of falsehood. Why do sheikhs why do sheikhs connect people to themselves? These are sheikhs that are bad sheikhs. Yeah, Sheikh Ridwan. They are not good sheikhs. They are not sheikhs that are actual scholars of the religion. But they are people who others think as being scholars of religion. Okay? They are those people who change Allah's deen. Because they don't really care about Allah's deen being practiced, what they care about is people respecting them, people giving them money. Did you know that? There are some of these false sheikhs, they will say to you, remember me, make dhikr of me, and also put 50 pounds in my bank account every month. Yes. Not only should you Make dhikr of me, remember me, but put 50 pounds in my bank account every month. If you do so, then watch. Yawm al-Qiyamah, I'm going to turn the fire of hell into a garden for you. This is some of the statements that they make. So that is the reason why. They have worldly motives, worldly incentives. Why they try to attach people to themselves. Is that, is that clear? Are you sure? Okay. So then after that, the Prophet والسلام, after having said, If you ask, then ask from Allah. And if you seek help, then seek help only from Allah. After the Prophet said this, then he made some statements that re-emphasize this reality. And then when you hear the following statements, then, it, then your, um, your desire to ask only from Allah, it becomes stronger. There is much more motivation now to seek help only from Allah and to ask only from Allah when you hear the next statement that the Prophet made. What's the next statement that he made? He said, you should know, the messenger is saying to Ibn Abbas You should know that if the whole ummah, if everybody, meaning the whole of mankind came together to benefit you with something uh, to harm you with something then they will not be able to harm you with anything Except what Allah had already, sorry, again, if all, of, if all of mankind got together in order to benefit you, to benefit you, not harm you, first he said benefit, in order to benefit you with something, 
uh, they would not be able to benefit you with something except what Allah had already written in your favor. Again, if all of the ummah, if all of mankind got together in order to benefit you with something, they would, they would, be, they would not be able to benefit you except with what Allah had already written for you to, uh, what Allah had, had written in your favor. And then he said, and if they, meaning the whole of mankind, gathered together in order to harm you with something, then they would not be able to harm you except with something that Allah had already written against you. Is that clear? Yes. Rufi'atil aqlam wa suhf. The pens have been lifted and the scrolls have dried. In another narration, the messenger said, tajidhu You should be mindful of Allah and then you'll find Allah in front of you. Come to know Allah in times of ease and he'll come to, and he'll come to know you. In times of hardship and difficulty. وَاعْلَمْ أَنَّ مَا أَخْطَأَكَ لَمْ يَكُنْ لِيُصِيبَكَ وَمَا أَصَابَكَ لَمْ يَكُنْ لِيُخْطِئَكَ And you should know that whatever has skipped past you was never going to reach you. And whatever has afflicted you would never have passed you by, passed by you. وَاعْلَمْ أَنَّ النَّصْرَ مَعَ الصَّبْرِ وَأَنَّ الْفَرَجَ مَعَ الْكَرْبِ وَأَنَّ مَعَ الْعُسْرِ يُسْرَى And you should know that victory comes with patience and Deliverance, yani deliverance from hardship comes with heart, comes with, with tragedy and calamity, and that with hardship comes ease. So then the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, as far as this statement is concerned, that you should know that if all of the Ummah gathered together in order to benefit you with something. Concerning this, part number four, Shaykh Abdul Muhsin Abad, he says. بعد أن ذكر أن السؤال لله وحده والاستعانة بالله وحده أخبر أن كل شيء بيده وأنه لا مانع لما أعطى ولا معطي لما منع وأن كل شيء لا يخرج عن إرادته ومشيئته. This statement of the Messenger عليه الصلاة والسلام it clarifies that every single thing it it occurs by Allah سبحانه وتعالى's decree. He is the one that gives and none can give other than him. He is the one that withholds and nobody can withhold other than him subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yani every single thing has been decreed in a lawh al-mahfud by Allah jalla wa Everything has been written down in a lawh al-mahfud by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And nothing escapes that irada, that will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when a slave recognizes this, when he recognizes that every single thing that happens to me in life and every single thing that passes by me that I never reach in life, that I wanted to get but that I never reach, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had already decreed it in his wisdom beforehand. When a person knows this, when a person has iman in qadr, what does it do to you? What effect does it have upon you? Tranquility. You have peace of mind now. You have tranquility that I really wanted to 
have a cup of coffee today, for example. I really wanted to have a cup of coffee, but Qadr Allah, Allah decreed that there's no cup of coffee today. <laughs> I really wanted to have a cup of coffee today, but Allah had already decreed. When you record in Lawh al-Mahfur, that Abu Arwa today will not get his delicious cup of coffee with the carnation milk inside of it. This should cause Abu Arwa now to become tranquil. He should not become tranquil. Alhamdulillah, Allah based upon his wisdom decreed that he does not get his cup of coffee on this particular occasion. That was based upon his wisdom. Because of the fact that we now know this, we have Iman, that whatever was not meant to be received by me would never have been received by me. The fact that a person knows this makes him now tranquil. It makes him at ease. It gives him peace of mind. But Alhamdulillah, this was something that Allah had already decreed. No way was I, I going to get that cup of coffee today. I need to be pleased with that and whatever consequences follow on from that. This is what Iman in Al-Qadr should bring about within, within the person. Tamam, that is part number four. Part number five. Part number five is concerning the statement of the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam. Come to know Allah, come to know Allah in ease and He'll come to know you in times of hardship and difficulty and severity. Meaning, meaning, Shaykh Abdul Muhsin Abad, he says, meaning. Be sincere, be sincere in your actions. Perform your actions sincerely for Allah at times of ease, at times of ease and يعني, prosperity and what have you. And then you're going to find goodness from Allah is going to come towards you. And harm is going to be repelled away from you. When you're in a time of hardship, when you're in a time of difficulty, when you're in a time of, of calamity, of tragedy, when you're, in that time, when, when you're in that period of your life, at that time of your life, when there's hardship and difficulty and tragedy and calamity and adversity, when you're at that point in your life, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to allow good to reach you. He's going to protect you. Why? Because you remembered him when it was your time of ease. You remembered Allah when it was your period of life of ease and prosperity and, and ease. Because you remembered Allah in times of ease, now your, that period of your life of difficulty and turbulence has come in your life. Now you're going to find that Allah, he is going to remember you. He is going to mother, remember you. And then Shaykh Abdul Muhsin Abad, he mentions a, يعني, the story of that man. That, uh, that man, or those three men, those three men who went into a cave, and then the boulder fell, the large rock fell, and it blocked the exit of the cave. There were three men, as has been recorded in Bukhari wa Muslim. They, went, they entered into a cave. Once they entered into the cave, 
There was a rock, that rock fell, a large rock, that large rock fell and it blocked the entrance and the exit to the cave. What would usually happen in that situation? You would starve to death, Ridwan, uh, yes. You would starve to death. And perhaps if there's no oxygen, you'd suffocate. These three men, what did they end up doing? Does anybody know? It's a famous story. They made dua. Aywa, they made tawassal to Allah through three deeds of theirs. What was so significant about these deeds? So, give me one example. Idris. Yeah, yeah, they were sincere in those deeds. That's right. They were sincere in those deeds. Each one of those people made a plea to Allah that He saves them and He rescues them and He delivers from this, from this adversity that they're in. And they made tawassal to Allah, they sought nearness to Allah via a deed that they had performed before. Yani they asked Allah that if I have performed such and such a deed sincerely for you, then deliver me out from this situation that I'm in. My, my question is, what were those three deeds? Each one of those men mentioned a single deed that he had done sincerely for Allah. Who can mention those three? Give me one, please. One of them uh, mentioned that he was in a situation where he was about to commit an act of uh, illicit uh, relations. Huh. And then? And then the, uh, he, the female said to him that fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this regard. And thus the man, he left off engaging in that immoral haram practice. So he seeks, uh, he asks Allah that, Oh Allah, if I did that sincerely for you on that occasion, if I did that sincerely for you, then right now deliver me from this adversity that I'm in, the adversity of being blocked by this rock in this cave. That's one example. Second example. Excellent. The second example is of the man who served his parents. So he again asks Allah that if I did that serving of my parents sincerely for you, then deliver me from this situation that I'm in. The third one. Amana, the man who was Amin and trustworthy. He had a laborer. The laborer went and forgot to take his wages. So the man used that person's wages that he was meant to give to the laborer by, uh, 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 in terms of purchasing and growing cattle and growing uh, and raising animals and what have you. As a result of that, the laborer came back a long time later perhaps many years later, came back and then he had found that his wages had now been uh, multiplied as far as the value was concerned. All of those animals on the field, all of that was now belonging to that laborer and so the man, he gave it to that laborer. And he asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that in this situation, if I did that particular deed of being amin and trustworthy and loyal in giving that laborer his wages, even though I could have devoured and consumed his wages long after he had gone, but I still kept it safe for him and I gave it to him. Once he returned back, if I did that sincerely for you, O oh Allah, 
then deliver me from the situation. And he was delivered from the situation that he was, that he was in. And then as a result of that, what happened? Three men made tawassal to Allah by three deeds that they had performed before. As a result of that, what happened? The rock moved. Each time the person made dua, the rock moved. When the first person made dua, the rock moved. The second person made dua, the rock moved. The third person made dua, and the rock had now moved such that they could now exit from the cave. What's the point of this? How does this relate to the statement of the Messenger alayhi salatu when he said come to know Allah, acquaint yourself with Allah in times of ease and Allah will come to know you in times of hardship. These men were in a severe form of hardship, in a severe state of hardship. But they were mindful of Allah when it was an easy part of their life. Nobody was watching the man when he was alone in the room with the woman. Nobody was watching him. And he could have performed the act with her. But he became mindful of Allah. And as a result of becoming mindful and aware of Allah in that state of ease, Allah remembered him now when he was in a state of difficulty. Before the man, he was in a state of ease. Even though he was in a state of ease, he still stood there for the whole night, waiting for his parents to wake up in order to serve them. Not serving his children, not serving his children and his wife and his children, but rather he stood there, as was his habit, as was his custom, to serve his parents first and then serve his, his dependents. He went over to his, his parents, he found that his parents are asleep, so he stood there waiting all night long until his parents woke up, woke up. He did that when it was a time of ease for him. And now Allah remembered him when it was his time of difficulty. And the third man, he could have just spent the wages that he was meant to give to his employee. His employee is gone now. Could have spent it, but no, he was trustworthy. Why was he trustworthy? Because he knew that Allah is watching him. As a result of being mindful of Allah in that state of ease and ease and yani, uh, prosperity as a result of remembering Allah at times of ease now Allah aided him and supported him and remembered him when that man was in a state of difficulty so the point being is that if we remember Allah when life is going good for us when life is going easy for us then inshallah we'll find that Allah is gonna come to our aid come to our support Allah will remember us when we are in our times of difficulty. So that is the end of part five to the explanation of this hadith. What remains now is part six, seven, and eight, which inshallah ta'ala will, will cover next lesson alongside hadith number 20. So unless there is something that needs to be re repeated or corrected or clarified, then we will conclude here. Tamam, so we'll conclude at this point until next week. Wallahu ta'ala a'lam wa fallillahumma ala nabiyyina Muhammadin walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.